Couple Advisory Solutions is an SEC-registered investment advisor and only transacts business in states where the firm is properly registered or is excluded or exempt from registration requirements. I wish that our stock market were as honest as every casino I go into. The gambling propensity is strong in people to do mathematically unintelligent things. Welcome to Libel on Fire with Libel Sternbach, the financial independence and retirement show dedicated to helping you build the life of your dreams as fast as possible with as little stress as possible. Libel Sternbach is the author of Living with Financial Anxiety and Authenticity. Libel's advice has been featured in countless publications, including Reader's Digest, USA Today, Yahoo Finance, CNN Business, Investment News, and Market Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Libel on Fire. Welcome to this wonderful episode of Libel on Fire. I'm Freddie Bell and I'm with Libel Sternbach. He is Amazon's best-selling author of a couple of great books. Number one, Living with Financial Anxiety, and the other is Authenticity. And on this episode, we'll be talking about something that I'm sure that it's on the tip of your tongue, the economy. Is it heading for a recession or not? But first of all, Libel, glad you're with us. How are you today, sir? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Unbelievable. Uh, I heard that uh, spring is maybe a month behind, but I won't worry about that too much. I've got a big coat. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the economy a little bit. Uh, just off the top, Libel, do you think that the nation is heading for a recession? So I personally don't think that we're heading towards a recession, or at least a typical recession when we think about it, you know, where you got job loss, uh, businesses aren't investing in the future. Um, and the future is it has a lot of uncertainty in it. So people are kind of holding on to what they have because they want to have that cash. They want to hoard those resources. Um, and they're expecting, you know, they're, they're expecting a, you know, economic turbulence uh, coming forward. So they're 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 hoarding, um, and they don't invest in the future. They don't hire new people. They fire they fire people who, where they can. So I don't think we're heading towards that. And in fact, when we look at you know kind of all the signposts that would tell us that we're you know heading towards a recession, you know unemployment is at you know very low levels, which could sometimes be a leading indication of a recession, but I don't think so. I don't think that we're, I, in fact, I think we may be in a situation where we don't have enough employees to fill all the jobs that are going to be coming. Um, and, and I think that our economy is actually going to grow. Now, the economy and the market are two separate things, um, but I do think that economically, I think we'll be fine. I think there will be some reshuffling. Um, some industries will hurt more than others, but overall, I think the U.S. economy is going to do all right. Uh, uh, of course, assuming that you know Congress and uh, the Fed don't scare people off too much. Everybody, Libel Sternbach with us this weekend. We're having a wonderful discussion about the economy and a recession. So you mentioned a leading indicator of a recession. So what are some others? But what are let's go to the other side of this. What are some indicators that we are not heading for a recession? So one indicator that you're probably hearing a lot about is, you know, this inverted yield curve. Um, and in the idea, I'm not going to get into the technicalities of what it is, but the idea is, is that when people are willing to uh, pay more for short-term loans versus long-term loans, it gives, it gives the impression that people are afraid of the future. 
And so they're, they want immediate returns now versus they think that nothing's going to be happening between now and 10 years from now or 20 years from now, which is a very weird place to be in, right? If, if I'm going to hold on to your money for 20 years, you would think that you would demand more for that money than if you were to hold on to it for a few years. And so when people see that, they get scared and like, oh, that means that there's a recession coming. It's not really a very good indication of a recession. Yes, it's happened in the past, but I think it's more something that is coincidental rather than a cause and effect. Um, There's a lot of reasons why interest rates are acting wonky the way they are, and it's more about the global marketplace than anything to do with our economy. So you're saying then that this is not something that we should be concerned about at this point? I wouldn't be concerned about it in the context of a recession. Mm -hmm. Um, I would be concerned about it more towards, you know, how are the federal, how are the central banks of the various countries going to act upon this? And what does this mean from the U.S. government standpoint, where we've been attracting a lot of foreign assets into treasuries? Because we've been paying, you know, some of the highest interest rates around the world. And now as other nations are increasing their interest rates that they're paying on their their bonds and their notes, what will that do to the money that's been sitting with us? Will that increase the amount that the Fed has to pay out in interest, Um, which means that the federal government has to come up with that money? Um, that might be, you know, a question mark that, that, that is a concern. That's something that Congress needs to stay on top of, that the Fed needs to stay on top of. And it could lead to higher taxes. It could also lead to some inflationary pressure. But uh, as, as far as a recession is concerned, right, when we talk about people buying goods and services, and the fact is, is that most of our economy is domestic and our internal economy is doing really well and more of it's coming home. So. We're talking with Libel Sternbach. He is the author of Living with Financial Anxiety. And I want to uh, focus in on the anxiety part about it. You've made a very good case for America not going into a recession. So what advice would you share with someone who is worried or they have anxiety, if you will, about a recession that uh, you don't see coming? So I think that when when we feel anxious, we need to look at what is triggering that anxiety. And, and the first thing we do we need to do is we need to acknowledge that anxiety is a survival mechanism. It is it is our our lizard brain. It is our this this great instrument, this great organ that we have in our body that has has that has evolved over time to to help us survive in so many different environments. And it is telling us that something about our environment is different, that something about what we are encountering is a threat to the status quo. And that threat could potentially mean that we won't have food on the table or a roof over our head or shelter or whatever it is that upsets us, right, that makes us feel vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And so we need to look at that and say, okay, what is it that we that is making us feel anxious? And then we need to work to address those. Um, part of living in a civilized society is the fact that we are not surrounded by predators. And so those instincts, those fight or flight instincts, those things that tell us, you know, we should be afraid for our lives, 
we need to learn to redirect those energies. And so, yes, there may be something that is dangerous, that's different, but is it a fight for our lives? Probably not, but your subconscious may be picking up on something that you're not. Maybe maybe it picked up on the fact that you're working a job that is vulnerable to a recession. Maybe it picked up on the fact that you need to increase your skill sets to get a higher paying job, or maybe you need to increase you know, your cash reserves, or maybe there's something that you're not taking care of yourself that you should be taking care of, that now is the time to prepare for what could be, you know, uh, a few turbulent years. Uh, I think that while we may not have a recession, and I've, I personally think that the chances of a recession are unlikely, um, I, I don't think anyone wants a recession. I think everyone's going to do everything possible to prevent a recession. I do think that there is going to be a shuffling around of industries. I think that a lot hmm. of the old jobs are going to go away and people are going to have to learn new skills to be able to provide in this coming economy that's going to develop over the next 15 years. So talk about shuffling of the economy. What, what do you mean? I'm, it's interesting to me that uh, we've heard a lot of talk about hospitality workers are going away. Mm-hmm. Where did they go? Uh, is this a part of the reshuffling as an example, only as an example, sir? Yeah, yeah, it, it is absolutely an example. So, so, so something that's happened interesting, if you look in Asia and, uh, you know, you look at the developed nations in Asia, so, you know, Japan, South Korea, um, and, and some, you know, Singapore, when you look at those countries, what you find is that the, the service jobs where, you know, it's nice that we have a person doing the job, but you don't really need a person to do the job. They have been slowly automating those jobs. So, you know, like McDonald's doesn't have people taking orders. COVID helped accelerate that in the U.S., but if it wasn't for COVID, it would probably be another five or 10 years before they got rid of, you know, order takers. But now in Europe and Asia, right, they've had that for years and it's just becoming commonplace that you don't have order takers in a fast food restaurant. Uh, Hospitality, Japan has completely automated hotels where there's literally maybe one person in the entire building, but you go in and it's a robot that greets you. It gives you your room key or like, I mean, I think the, uh, the Marriott started rolling out. I know a bunch of hotels started rolling it out where you can even check in on your phone. You don't even talk to anyone. You just go to the door and your phone acts as the key. So those jobs where, yeah, you were sitting there and you check people into the hotel. Well, why were you doing that? Nobody needed that. The hotel was booked online, right? That was paid for online. So what are you doing to at that front desk other than punching keys into a very old computer? And so jobs like that are going to go away. Now, the jobs that are going to stay, someone still needs to clean the room, right? And it's still cheaper to pay someone to clean the room than to have a machine clean the room. Someone still has to do the laundry. Um, Someone still has to be there in the hotel to deal with emergencies that come up, which means hotel staff is going to go from having, you know, uh, you know, three or four people who are getting paid, you know, $40,000, $50,000 a year to having maybe just one manager on staff and a bunch of um, probably outsourced uh, cleaning companies that are going to do the work of cleaning the hotels and they get paid nothing. I mean, right. We're talking about two, three bucks a room usually. So is this really a good thing, Libel? So I think it's a good thing. 
Um, and, and a lot of people are going to hate me for this. Um, but the not possible, not possible, <laughs> not possible. Right. Um, what is it? Uh, Dan Kennedy says it, if you haven't pissed anyone off by 12 o'clock, then you're not doing your job properly. <laughs> um, so I personally think that, that, that this is a natural progression, right? If we want to, it, it, let, let's just look at China as an example. Uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, the average person in China was making less than 50 cents a day, right? Which is well below the UN's poverty line. Um, now you have, you know, a, the average, they have a very growing middle class, much a greater middle class than we have. Um, I think the average worker there is, is, is making a decent amount of money. Even the poor people who were making, you know, 50 cents, they're making now a few dollars a day, um, which is a huge progression and it has caused, you know, Chinese goods to be more expensive. When you have that progression, right, and getting that wealth where you had people who didn't have access to running water and food and cell phones, now they're the biggest internet buying market in the world, you have a natural progression. And so what happens is people have to move into, they have to move up that pay scale. You can't keep paying people to do things that um, that machines can do because they need to get paid more to support this lifestyle. You know, 20 years ago, nobody could afford to have a phone like an iPhone, right? I mean, even just having a mobile phone was outrageously expensive. Even, you know, the affluent could barely afford it. Now everyone's got it in their pocket, right? You've got a computer in your pocket. I, what, my first computer was, you know, two, $3,000 and can barely, you know, do a tenth of what our phones do. That's the truth. Yeah, there's there's still 931 million landlines left and that we thought they'd be gone by 2020. So you, you're also making a case. And I know we've only got a couple of minutes left for this segment, but it sounds as if Leibold Sternbach, that you're making a case that America may be an underdeveloped country. In some ways, we are an underdeveloped country. That That is definitely true. And it's a known fact. And it 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 is a. It is a result of us being the first to develop certain technologies. A lot of countries have been able to leapfrog, whereas, you know, landlines, right? We built this infrastructure for phones. We were the first country. We invented the phones. We were the first country to have phones. And, you know, that made us a wealthy country, gave us an advantage. But then when you have these new nations, these developing nations, they went straight to cell phones. They went straight to the tech, to the ultimate technology. They don't have you know, tens of millions, billions of dollars worth of infrastructure that needs to be paid for, that investors need to recoup their money on um, because they never had them, whereas we do. And so we're slowly progressing. I mean, it, it's a known fact that the internet speed in the U.S. is lags behind the rest of the world by a wide margin. Oh, my gosh. Libel, we're just about out of time. Where can our listeners go to get more information on this topic of the economy and whether or not we're heading for a recession? So if you want more information, always check out, you know, our blog as well as, you know, podcasts and other shows. This is something I like to talk about a lot. I've also got a TikTok channel going on now. So I talk oh. a lot about the economy over there. It seems like TikTok likes that. That's Leibel Sternbach. He's the author of Living with Financial Anxiety. We're talking about recession this week, and you're listening to your favorite show. Thanks for listening to this episode of Libel on Fire. If you have questions about today's topic, please submit them on our Facebook group at libelonfire.com slash Facebook. 
And if you would like a free signed copy of Living with Financial Anxiety and Authenticity, visit libelonfire.com. Now, back to Libel on Fire. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Libel on Fire. I'm Freddie Bell with you and also joined by Libel Sternbach. He is Amazon's best-selling author of a couple of books, Living with Financial Anxiety and also the author of Authenticity. Libel, hello, and welcome back this morning. Hey, how are you? I'm well. I'm well. You got me fired up last time we talked when we were going into the economy, and uh, you made me kind of sad, Libel. Because you uh, really underscore the fact that uh, America may be an under underdeveloped society. Yes, but we are still the leaders in a lot of technology, and that just means that we have we have room to grow. And if you want to look at the bright side of that, right? The only reason why we're an underdeveloped nation uh, when it comes to certain technologies and job sectors is because we were the first. And in in being the first, it means that we have to rip out old infrastructure to build new ones. And that's something that's expensive. And so we don't necessarily invest in that, even though, you know, it would be beneficial, mainly because we're not going to recoup that investment. However, I will tell you this. Despite all of that, we still contribute about 24% to the global economy. Uh, We make up 24%, even though our population is something like 4%. So we have a very much outsized impact, and we still do. And I I hope as a nation that we keep keep that edge um, and be that contributing force to the global economy um, with leading technologies, with leading uh, economic uh, policies so that we continue to drive that engine instead of just being a cog in the machine. You've told us and you've written about the fact that we you don't think that we're heading for a recession. And uh, you said a lot of times that this is triggered, uh, the concerns we have are triggered by anxiety or worry. So what do we do to maintain a positive outlook uh, about where we are personally, where we are as a nation, as we try to uh, navigate tough times with, in, in spite of, what we're seeing happening a half a world away. I think, I, I think the key is we need to look at the indications, indicators that actually matter rather than what's making the news. Mm. Um, I, I was reading, uh, I'm reading this book um, by, by a, a psychologist and an economist. Um, and, and in it, he, he gives an example of, uh, I forgot what it was, was there, I think when we invaded Iraq the first time, um, or no, it was Iraq invaded Kuwait. And he, he has in there the bond market, you know, tanked that day. Um, and then it recovered. And you had in the morning, the headline says that the bond market tanked on war in Middle East. And then in the afternoon, it, it had a, a competing headline that said that the bond market rallies because of war in, in the Middle East. And it's we as human beings like to look for explanations as to why things are happening. And we may not have the full understanding of why things are happening. And things may be happening because a lot of people are trying to figure out what's happening. So a lot of this is just a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so when we are... When we are looking at the economy, when we're looking at our futures, we need to look at what we know to be true, uh, right and true. And we can't be looking all over for different signposts and trying to come up with stories of what's happening. We need to take a hard look and say, 
am I protected, right? If, if let's say there was a recession, will I be able to put food on the table? Yes or no? Is the job that I have at risk? Is my, you know, if I'm retired, is my retirement at risk? And if it is, is that a risk that I am worried about? Mm -hmm. Or is that something that I feel like I can deal with? Because if you feel like you can handle whatever comes up, then you're not going to worry about a recession. You're not going to worry about what happens in the market. And as a result, if you don't worry about it and your neighbor doesn't worry about it and their neighbor doesn't worry about it, and if the majority of people don't worry about it, then it's not going to come to pass. Um, A most recent example is the Trump administration, right? The Trump administration, what happened to the stock market, what happened in our economy, I mean, nobody can argue with the fact that it rallied like crazy, that we've had, you know, astronomic growth. But when you look at policies, when you look at actual actions, the actual actions did not necessarily translate or would not lead someone to translate that into that type of return. But it was the euphoria that everyone felt. Everyone believed that the market was going to grow. Everyone believed that Trump was going to do what was right by the market. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, and so the market rallied and the world rallied behind it because they're like, if the U.S. is going is to grow and believes the world's going to grow, then the world's going to grow because we all go along for the ride. And so a lot of this is perception, right? But that perception starts inside of us. What do we actually believe? And you need to have confidence in your financial future if the country is going to have confidence in its financial future. That's very good advice. And I'm interested... <laughs> So you're talking about uh, we really can't rely on the news. We have to rely on what what would you list as three things that we should be looking to to give us solace that everything is okay when we're uh, looking at whether or not this is a bull market, whether or not uh, there's a Democrat or Republican at the helm at the at the president's office level. What where do you point to? Where do I point to? So the first thing that I like to do is I take a step back. Right. And. I I look at it from a historical standpoint. And as far as the stock market is concerned, right? Like if we look back to, you know, the very first markets, um, so you go back 300 years and you look at just how the market has grown and the market consistently provides returns and it consistently provides returns because investors need returns. It's a little bit like a self-fulfilling prophecy. People have babies. And, you know, those babies need to buy things and people need to provide for it. So the money comes from somewhere. There's resources to exploit. There's goods to be made. And it's a never ending cycle. So as long as we keep that cycle going, we'll be good. Right. And as far as I know, you know, unless, you know, nuclear war starts, in which case none of this matters. Um, but unless that happens, right, people are going to still have babies, still people are going to still need to want things. And the fact is, is that, you know, if you just look in your own personal life, compare now to 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, the amount of stuff that you have and the technology in those stuffs and the cost of those stuff has skyrocketed, right? And so, while yes, your wages may not have increased with inflation. Yes, maybe the price of housing has skyrocketed, but guess what? So is the value of the, the phone in your pocket and what it's capable of doing. And the, you know, the technology in your car, self-driving cars, right? Like we actually have that. That was, that was just a pipe dream 10 years ago. And so 
while the dollar value may not be there so much, the the economic, the the when when ec- economists talk about utility and economic value, that very much is there, right? With a with a push of a button on our phone, we can have someone go grocery shopping for us. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're talking with Lival Sternbach. And we're talking about the economy. Can we shift gears? You're talking about self-driving cars. So let's shift gears just a little bit. You've told me earlier that it's really tough to time the market, but can you, do you, can you make investments or move money around just based on what you're seeing? Is that a sort of, uh, is that timing the market something we should stay away from? So timing the market is, uh, so I'm going to give you two answers. So the one answer is, is generally timing the market is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because we as human beings are very bad at timing the market. And the reason why we're bad at timing the market is because the, it, the market is made up of individual people and individual people are not rational, right? We as individuals are not rational. We as a group are even less rational. Right. And so while, yeah, you can talk to someone and they'll say, yeah, you know, I've got a good reason for why I'm doing what I'm doing, that you might think that that person is completely insane. And you'd probably be correct that that person is completely insane and they'd think the same thing about you. But guess what? (laughs) That's all the participants of the market. Right. And they all very strongly believe one way or the other. And so you can look at overall direction. You can look at if you look at long term. Right. Uh, if you look at long term now, all of a sudden averages start coming into play. Reality takes a shape somewhat, right? Like if the, if the country is going to grow, if the economy is going to grow, if we're adding jobs, you know, uh, if we're we're producing goods that the other that the rest of the world wants, or at least the people in our country want to buy, that is going to um, create wealth. However. If you're looking at, and that will create wealth over the long term, right? Five, 10, 20 years. Sure. If you're looking day to day, right? I mean, it, it's worse than Vegas. At least in Vegas, you know the odds. <laughs> Here, you're, you're, you're at the whims of a madman, right? Uh, Elon Musk just bought Twitter. Who could have seen that happening? <laughs> Nobody saw that one coming. Yeah. So talk to me then, Libo, about buying and holding versus active investing. Because, you know, we've heard a lot both ways. And I know you hear it all. What do you think is better? Is it, is there one way that's better than the other? So I think it has to do with, uh, I think you got to ask yourself two questions. One, where am I in my, my accumulation distribution wealth phase, right? Am I in the growing my wealth phase or am I in the distribution where I'm using my wealth phase? Because when you're accumulating, then you want, you, you have time on your side and it doesn't matter what happens in the market, just buy and hold and you will win, right? You don't have, uh, trying to go in and out, trying to win more than the market, that historically, statistically doesn't work. Okay. Uh, some people are good at it, but statistically it doesn't work. The If you're on your distribution phase, right? If you're in retirement and you're relying on that money, then yes, you do need to time the market, not because you're trying to outperform the market, but because you want to make sure that when you're taking income from your portfolio, that you're not locking in losses, that you're not accelerating the market declines, right? So I don't want you to try to, you know, outperform the market. I want you to try to not lose as much as the market. Um, And that is something that is definitely possible. The other thing that you really need to look at is what type of market cycle are we in? 
Um, you all, all heard the term, you know, bull and bear markets, and it right. refers to, you know, people refer to different things. But Guggenheim has this great chart, which you can find on our website, which shows the historical market cycles, bull and bear market cycles over the last 125 years for the Dow Jones. And what you can very clearly see is that during bull markets, so when the market is going up, and, and this means on average going up, it has ups and downs within that. But when you plot a trend line, you can see that it's, it's steadily going upwards. So during a bull market, anyone can win. Last 15 years have been a bull market. The 90s were a bull market. Um, anyone can win. Trying to time the market is probably the easiest way to lose your money during that period. However, in a bear market, and a bear mar market is where the market kind of moves sideways. Again, it moves up and down. But when you plot it between two points, it generally is moving sideways. And so we had that, you know, from 2000 to 2011, you had that, you know, uh, uh, in the 80s, you have these periods and there's, you know, uh, I think it was four uh, bear markets, five bull markets in the last 125 years. During those periods, if you just buy and hold, you are going to miss out. You will get some return from dividends because that chart doesn't include dividends necessarily. Mm -hmm. But overall, you are, your, your value is going to remain pretty steady. You're gonna you're gonna beat inflation by a little bit, but not by much because the market, the market as a whole is kind of just moving sideways. Now, when you look within that, there are sectors that are doing well, there are sectors that are doing poorly, there are companies that are doing well, and there's companies that are doing poorly. And it's during those periods we are using non-buy and buy and hold strategies. So using momentum-based strategies that look for those ups and downs. Um, or, and look for, you know, what's in favor, what's not in favor. And there are technical ways of doing this. Um, that's where that active management really shines. And it's why I think, I think that we've entered what's known as a secular bear market. And so market can still go up mm -hmm. and it'll go up and down. But I think over the long run, it's more going to move sideways like what we've been seeing. And it's during these periods of time where the buy and hold uh, um, investors end up losing money um, or just maintaining. And it is the active investors who make a lot of money. And I think that's what we've been seeing the last few months. And I think we're going to continue seeing that. Libo, we only have 30 seconds left. How can we get more information on the bull, the bear, or anything financial, especially with the economy? On my website, go to yieldsforyou.com. I've got a whole bunch of reports that you can download there, uh, including the ones that I've mentioned here. Uh, check out my blog, Label on Fire. We've got all kinds of uh, reports and articles and resources over there as well. Thank you for giving us solace as we go through tough times. That's Libel on Fire. And we'll be back again next week. That's all the time we have for this episode of Libel on Fire, the financial independence and retirement show dedicated to helping you build the life of your dreams. If you have questions about today's topic, please submit them in our Facebook group at libelonfire.com slash Facebook. And if you would like a free copy of Libel's book, Living with Financial Anxiety and Authenticity, visit libelonfire.com. Thanks for listening. 
Koppel Advisory Solutions is an SEC-registered investment advisor and only transacts business in states where the firm is properly registered or is excluded or exempted from registration requirements. Registration as an investment advisor is not an endorsement of the firm by securities regulators and does not mean that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. All investment strategies can result in profit or loss. Information presented on this program is believed to be factual and up-to-date, but we do not guarantee its accuracy and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed. Discussion should not be construed as any offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell the investments mentioned. Annuity guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. Content should not be viewed as legal or tax advice. Always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation.